Hello, mainstreamers and cinephiles and everybody in between. I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. And Operation Silver Screen is a go. Welcome, everyone, to another weekly debrief. Each week, Brian and I would take on a case from our backlog of must-see films that either one of us or both of us have yet to see. And our debrief will provide not only our opinion on the film, but it'll also discuss the significance and influence in both the film industry and society as a whole. Along the way, we'll also provide other fun trivia and insights on the film as well. So, Brian, what was our mission this week? So, there's a game that both Caitlin and I like, even love, and that is Cyberpunk 2077. Many of you are familiar with that game. And its DLC is coming out on the release of this episode. And we're very excited. This is, first off, the game itself was a long-awaited game. It did have some problems with its launch, but since then, it's still become a beloved game. And its DLC has been something that a lot of people have been looking forward to, including ourselves. Uh, so we wanted to go ahead and talk about one of its influences, not just on the DLC and not just on the Cyberpunk game, but on Cyberpunk itself. Like, really, where did this genre come from and one of the biggest influences for one of the big establishing properties was the novel by philip k dick do androids dream of electric sheep uh, which was then adapted into a famous cult classic movie blade runner now this is a movie that i have seen and caitlin you have not and we're not only going to be talking about blade runner but blade runner 2049 i find that to be also a movie worth talking about as well so like our other episodes where we talk about multiple movies we are going to be bouncing just a little bit within the segments uh but you know same same old structure as before so caitlin you liking cyberpunk liking the video game cyberpunk what has been stopping you from watching this movie um so honestly 2049 i think was the first time it was really on my radar other than the book um and the runtime is what stopped me from watching that the runtime and then i knew that if i really wanted to get something out of 2049 i probably should watch the original as well so then add another movie onto that runtime it was just a time commitment so that i think is the main thing that was holding me back because i really do like cyberpunk as a genre as far as cyberpunk literature goes i have read do androids dream of electric sheep i read that um i think last year is when i read that that i think it's a novella um, and then I have a little bit of other experience with books in the genre. As a literature genre, it's not necessarily my favorite, but the genre in general, I do really, really enjoy Sabre Funk stuff. Yeah, I remember when I found out that you were excited for the game as well. I was a bit surprised. And that was kind of like the first game that we that we sort of bonded over, you know, texting each other back and forth what we were doing for each other's build. I know we put it down for a little bit and then coincidentally we picked it up back up at the same time. But yeah, I, I love the genre too. I do wish that there was more in the genre. I also like another genre that came about it, which is biopunk. My all-time favorite game, Bioshock, is biopunk, uh, which I didn't realize that was a thing until today. So kind of things are starting to line up. Yeah, I saw this movie. I think I watched Blade Runner, the original, uh, when I heard of Blade Runner 2049 because I heard it was Denise Villeneuve, who at that time was my number one, or becoming my number one favorite director. Uh, he is now my number one favorite director. Yeah, so I was excited for Cyberpunk 2049, and I was like, all right, I got to watch the original. Uh, unlike Caitlin, I'm not afraid of commitment. So I, was, I said, hey, I'm going to go into it. It wasn't until I finished it that I realized, oh, there's a director's cut, and you know, there's several cuts in the movie. I didn't know which one I watched when I discovered that it was already a week later. And 
recently, I believe it was last year, my brother and I, we went to see the final cut that was released for his 25th anniversary. Uh, so we saw the final cut that has a little bit more, well, we'll talk about the cuts later on. But yeah, so I saw that movie twice, and this was my second time seeing 2049. I saw 2049 during its release in theaters. I think that was also part of what was holding me back a little bit from watching the original, just because I didn't really know which cut was the preferred, like what was the best cut to watch. So that was something that also required a little bit of research. But we'll tell you which is the best cut to watch, so listen up. <laughs> yeah, and if you're, well, I, I will say now, I'll, I'll let people know in case they want to stop here and go watch it. Uh, it's definitely the final cut. I think everybody agrees it's the final cut. The final cut is really Scott's. Uh, that's the one that he says is his definitive version. That's his vision. That's what's put out on the the screen. But we'll talk about what the other versions hold as well. Also, moving on with this episode, do know, as always, it is going to be spoiler free until we get into that second portion. In that second portion, I'll announce the spoilers for the episode and we'll go from there. Now, this both of these movies have received critical acclaim. We'll start with the first one. It has a 8.1 on IMDb with a 89% rating for critics for Rotten Tomato with a 91% audience rating. Two Oscar nominations, Best Art Direction and Best Visual Effects. Really surprised it did not win for Best Art Direction. Uh, This is also in the 1001 movies to watch before you die. This is a cult classic. This is number 180 out of the 250 IMDb movies. And this was in the sight and sound list, best 100 for critics. Caitlin, what did you find for the original Blade Runner? So the film in general had a good opening weekend at the box office, probably because it's proximity to a lot of other sci-fi films that came out in 1982. 1982 was a big year for sci-fi film in general. Uh, the Thing came out that year, E.T., Tron, Ravicon, uh, but it didn't really meet audience expectations and it didn't really do as well at the box office overall after that opening weekend. Uh, it critically had a lot of mixed reviews due to its slow pacing and confusing a little bit underdeveloped plot. Of course, this is with its theatrical cut, which is a little bit different than the final cut that we'll see later. However, Upper applauded its distinctive sci-fi vision and overall aesthetics of the film, and the film continued to live on, and it's now considered a cult classic. It was nominated also for Best Original Score at the Golden Globes and won awards for Costume Design and Production Design at the British Academy Film Awards. It also won Best Cinematography at the Los Angeles Film Critics Circle Association and a Saturn Award for Best DVD Special Edition Release in 2008. Often, it's cited in many best of lists. Brian, you mentioned one for Sight and Sound. It's also included in Empire's The 100 Greatest Movies of All Time, released in 2017, and IGN's Top 25 Sci-Fi Movies of All Time, released in 2022. And that's just a couple of them. There's a lot of best of lists out there, and it's you're going to see this listed quite frequently. In 1993, the film was also selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. We talked about this a lot, um, but yeah, that was selected in 1993. Yeah, 1982 was a good year for sci-fi, but at the same time, it was probably a bad time to release this film. Because thinking about all those sci-fi films, this wasn't a blockbuster. This wasn't a family sci-fi. It didn't have like uh, Rathacon, you know, it had a fandom behind it. This was like... This was like the moody sibling out of all of those. So I think if this came out like a year later or a couple years or a year earlier or a couple years later, it would have done better. I just think that it was probably being compared to those other sci-fi films, especially when you don't have that many sci-fi films yet. This being early in the 80s and starting to be the rise of it. People are kind of having expectations that they probably shouldn't have at that point. 
though even now I think this is a sci-fi film on a not a different level, but it's a different type of sci-fi film. It re- it still isn't even to today's standards a blockbustery, a um like a real. It's not like a space adventure, anything like that. It's not a fast-paced sci-fi movie, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. Now for 2049, uh, just w- point one below it in its rating for IMDb at 8.0. It has a 88 critic rating and an 87 audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And this one actually has two Oscar wins. Best Cinematography and Best Visual Effects. It has three nominations, sound mixing, sound editing, and production design. Yeah, surprisingly 2049 was actually a box office bomb. It was said to have lost about $80 million after marketing and distribution costs. And many attributed this to the film's runtime because it is, it's a longer movie. Like I said, it's 164 minutes, which is... How long is that? Two and a half hours? About? Two hours and 43. Two hours and 43 minutes? Yeah. However, the film was still critically praised, uh, particularly for its cinematography. It did have some minor criticisms for its characterizations, but it it has been pretty well critically praised, like you said. It was, like you said, nominated for several awards. Uh, Many film critics associations have nominated this for different things. And it won Movie of the Year, Best Sci-Fi, Fantasy Film, People's Choice Award, and Best Director at IGN's Best of 2017 Awards. It also won a Satellite Award for Best Cinematography and a British Academy Film Award for Best Visual Effects. I looked up what it lost. And yeah, sometimes it said like, hey, this was a bomb, you know, a flat out bomb financially. And some others say it was just a bomb through expectations because it did earn more than its budget. But yeah, you put in the marketing and distribution that may have been lost. I don't know. 80 million. Really? That's what I was seeing. Okay, I was seeing something a little different. And also, I just I kind of think different. because I feel like 80 million is a big loss. And we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but it, it didn't really stop. And uh, it didn't stop the studio from moving on with this property and also green lighting some other things. So it's odd. I don't know. I don't know if they got a tax write off or something or that $80 million is was a penciled in number because just the way that this movie kept moving and that the way really the studios didn't talk about it. Not too many people talked about it bombing. It doesn't really seem that bad of a bomb. It's odd. It was a bomb, but not that bad of a bomb. Nobody got hurt. <laughs> The original Blade Runner in 1982 is based on the Philip K. Dick novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And this is about a Blade Runner. A Blade Runner is someone who goes after runaway replicants. Replicants being not cyborgs, but artificial intelligence made to look like human beings. Caitlin, what did they call them in? Oh, they called them androids in the book. Androids or Andes. Yeah, Andes if you're cool. Uh, but they, in the movies, they went with replicants. They thought they'd be better for audience to relate to somehow. I don't know. They Studios make weird decisions sometimes. A Blade Runner named Deckard is sent on another assignment. It seems like he's pulled out of retirement or just out of bed, something. Uh, but he has to go after these four replicants who they took off during a rebellion. And now he has to go and hunt them down. And this being a neo-noir film, it also does take in... Uh, there are some themes of humanization. Now, 2049, 2049 is a sequel. It is, I guess, a direct sequel in some sense. There is a lot. There's a lot in between the the two movies and other material. But 2049 is the sequel. Of course, uh, the first one takes place in the far future of 2019, and this one takes place in the near future of 2049. I feel like we got a lot of time to make up or a lot of. A lot of building and technology to advance. 
2049, another Blade Runner is sent on another mission to hunt down a replicant. This one, however, appears to be different. And some other people have their eyes on this replicant as well. So he's trying to get to it before anybody else can. And I won't, I won't say too much about that because that's the other thing that I question about this, them losing money on the marketing because they didn't do much marketing. There was like one trailer. I didn't know a lot going into this movie. There were things that surprised me about the plot, about the characters that were not hinted all in, in the trailers. And I'm surprised really with the trailers, they didn't make this seem more like an action film because this does have some big action, um, big action scenes in here that are pretty good that you could, you could fool some people into thinking this was a big action movie if you edit the trailer the right way. That aside, Caitlin, what did you think of Blade Runner made in 1982? I got to kind of specify that because if I say Blade Runner in 1982, it sounds like it takes place in 1982 because then Blade, what did you think about the Blade, the original Blade Runner movie? So this film really, was different from what I expected. I really didn't have too much knowledge of it. I mean, I read the book, so I kind of knew what the plot was about, but I didn't really know how these movies were going to be at all. And I think in my mind, it being an 80s movie, an 80s sci-fi film, I expected a true 80s action film, a true Hollywood-esque action film. And what I got was not that at all. This is a very artsy film. It's a very visually aesthetic film. It's very moody. It's very slow-paced. And I, it, it's a story that's more similar to the book than what I thought it was going to be. Um, there's a lot of differences and I think it's overall, uh, it's overall like theme and like idea of how it views empathy is different. I'll get into that. But I think it's pacing and it's treatment of story, I think was still respectful to the source material and the vision that Philip K. Dick had. And I appreciated that. And I think for me, when I read the book originally, I wasn't really a fan of the book when I first read it. It's very, it's a little bit more dense and it's a lot to take in. It's kind of a little bit convoluted. It's full of characters that aren't very likable and it's, it's kind of difficult to get through. But after watching this movie, I think it also gave me more appreciation for the book as well. Um, I really just, I really liked this movie. I really liked a lot about it and I think that there are a lot of criticisms for it that are valid and there's a lot as far as the plot goes that I would say yes is a little bit underdeveloped it's very much an aesthetic film um it it shines with its aesthetics and I think I really really appreciated that I really did enjoy this film yeah this film is not at all what I expected I don't think this film is what anybody expects I I'm looking forward to the first person to tell me oh man that really was what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, well, you say the 80s, you know, you do think a little bit more action. You do think for the sci-fi to be more upfront, but this is first and foremost, I believe, a neo-noir film. And the setting is cyberpunk. And I feel like you, honestly, you can take a lot of this story and put it into another another setting, you know, probably not chase it at the replicants, but something else. And you have basically the same story, uh, which is a nice feeling to it because it is a... You know, it's a movie that you can not relate to, but it feels familiar in a way. You're not totally off in this different place, even though the setting is is very different. But yeah, what you said a couple times, this movie is visually impressive. Like it's yeah, it's something that I can't say that we haven't seen it before because it's influenced so much that we have seen it before. But it's interesting to see it, you know, in its in its oldest and truest form that there is. 
you know, credit a lot of credit to uh, Sid Mead or Sid, yeah, Sid Mead for that production design and really Scott for the direction as well. Uh, it is a it is a slower film. It is a bit artsy. I would say the kind of sequels I would consider more of an art film, but this one, yeah, it's uh, we'll get to it. I did like Harrison Ford as Deckard. I think this is, I think he does it really well. I'm not sure how close it is to the source material. I know the author said like, yes, this is my Deckard, like, but Caitlin's shaking her head no. So apparently they have different views. <laughs> I, I think the story, I don't know about underdeveloped, but I do feel like they were trying to say more and thought they were saying more than what was actually said. I felt like there was a lot of reading in between the lines and I wonder if the book goes more in detail with a lot of its themes but I think sometimes in this movie I guess this is where the art comes in is a lot of a lot of looking and a lot of pondering going on from from your end uh, which is not bad I would give a warning to a lot of people I don't know who I could we'll talk about who we can recommend this to but some people are going to be disappointed by the slower pace I didn't really mind it I still really like this film I think that there are some problems with the story but for the most part i really like it yeah as far as deckard as a character in the book he's very very unlikable i think in blade runner deckard is just kind of lifeless he's not really that much of an interesting character and i don't know if that's the casting uh harrison ford for me doesn't always work i think sometimes he comes off a bit dull as a protagonist and i i think that kind of shames here it wasn't my favorite but at the same time i can't say if it was better or worse than the book because he's just not a good person in the book yeah he is a he is a bit dull there are some times that i wish he had a, a little bit more life to him uh i can still see him as like a this being an iconic role and where i would have really liked to see that life is one of my problems with this film and that's with the romantic relationship between him and Rachel in here it's another one of those that it feels movie rushed and also there's there is one scene in particular that it feels really odd watching now and I don't even understand actually why back then everybody was like yeah that looks good we're good with that of all the things that the studio were trying to cut from this film that was the one thing they didn't work on a lot yeah the romantic relationship here was was definitely rushed very very rushed and it's something that wasn't it's entirely different in the book. I don't want to spoil too much of the book, but he is a married man um, when he engages with Rachel, this um, other person in the book. So, and their relationship is very different than what you see here. Like, they did have some nice moments. I just didn't feel the intimacy. Yeah, I've just, there were, I felt like there were some nice moments between them, but again, movie rushing and then also some, uh, an approach by Deckard. It feels off and it is it is a portion of this movie, you know, that's it's supposed to have it's supposed to fit in with those themes. But it just it doesn't it doesn't feel right. Uh, so I do wish that was done better. But I think, you know, for the most part, the other the other moments between characters were good. I would say it's it's interesting watching this movie. I don't know if it's because of the way that androids fight or you know, this is just the action of the 80s. But the choreography is different. And questionable, and I go back and forth of how I really feel about it. I don't think it's bad, but at the same time, I can't say that like I'm blown away or or even impressed by it. Uh, there's just some fights between Deckers and the replicants that, again, this is not a blockbuster movie, but at the same time, like why? I don't know. That it just feels like they didn't really have so, an expertise on set for that. 
Yeah, I don't think I noticed the choreography at all, to be honest. There's not there's not too much in it. Uh, but there's a lot of like there's one fight that it's the eighties love throwing around people. Like before we brought in the 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 East, their fighting type techniques. Uh yeah, it was just a lot of chucking people around in one in one punch hits. Uh, so like uh yeah, but then there's also somebody does a flip and they have somebody and then they let him go and then they do another flip. It's weird. So like like I said, this this is not for everybody, but once you get past that, the story is enjoyable to watch. And I think the the noir portion, the mystery of it, and not even the mystery, but just him following one clue after the other is enjoyable. Yeah, so the thing about both the novel and this movie is that the main theme is just exploring empathy and what empathy means. And I think that the both the, the book and the movie kind of have a little bit different premises. I think the book focuses more on... Uh, so the book is, takes place in like this dystopian, almost post apocalyptic. It's not quite post apocalyptic, but it takes place after uh, a great war, and it's at a time where most like wildlife and animals are are extinct, and so it's considered. And you see this in the movie as well. It's considered like a big sign of social status to actually own a real life animal. So what a lot of people do now, you have a lot of like fake electronic animals that people are passing off as real animals. And a lot of what we, what is the test for empathy, and a lot of this is seen in the Voight-Kampff test that is in the film, is based on like how you react to like animal cruelty and stuff like that. So that's interesting that I think, I don't know how that came across in the film as someone who wouldn't have read the book. Um, because I know that it's kind of, it's a, it's a complex plot point and I don't know, but it really explains much to you. It doesn't really hold your hand with that. As someone who didn't read the book, I got to say that it's, I don't think it's fully, it's fully looked into in the movie. And I feel like a lot of the thoughts that I was having was coming from, from myself. Like they asked the question, but instead of like, Instead of instead of playing out the themes and really going into it and throwing in some additional questions, I was kind of just I took that one question and while watching the movie, started thinking up of my own my own things, my own questions and uh, my own philosophy to it. Mm-hmm. And so in the book, too, that you have people here that aren't really empathetic at all. The humans aren't really empathetic. And I think the book is more concerned of how humans in general and robots are similar, but it's more because humans lack empathy. And in the movie, it's because robots have more empathy. So it, it, they both have the same, or so kind of kind of levels humans and robots at the same time. But the book, like I said, the book more downgrades humans to meet at the robot level, whereas the movie, I think, elevates robots to meet at the, or replicants to meet at the human level. Yeah, I think, like, after finishing this movie, if you want to sit down with a friend and talk about this, you could go into it a lot. Now, how much of it was actually uh, provoked by the movie? That's questionable. This movie kind of feels like you were sitting down with a couple friends. Somebody came down, sat down like, man, do you think androids dream of electronic sheep? And then they just walk off. And, and then you guys are left there to your own to your own vices. But I, but I like that. I like stories like that. I like stories that are going to make me think and do a little bit more uh research on my own a little bit more thinking of my own um we talked about that with inland empire that's part of why i liked inland empire when we did our david lynch episode um 
so yeah, I actually appreciated that about this film. And I think, like I said, I didn't really like the book when I first read it, but watching this and putting that kind of visual language to it and be able to put, draw more inferences based on the story of both of them, it, it really gave me more appreciation for it. I would say that I think there there is a balance. And for me, I don't I never want my hand held, but I do want a movie to join in on the conversation. And I feel like sometimes this movie didn't join in. And I think it's you know, this happens with movies. They they only have so much time. This movie is only an hour and 57 minutes at most. So just under two hours. They probably couldn't say more. Well, I don't know. I think they could. A lot of the conversations in here, there's not a lot of words per minute. There's a lot of like somebody saying something and everybody just kind of thinking about it. And I don't know. And we, like you said, it's kind of an art movie. We get a lot of shots that are there to appreciate this world, uh, to build upon things and to have a moment of pondering. But again, I, I still do enjoy. I do think that it just could have said a little bit more for me. That's probably the only thing that's really keeping this film from being like an S tier or a near perfect movie for me. Yeah, in my notes, I said it's all visuals and vibes and not much else. But you know what? It's working for me. <laughs> yeah, like I said, like that that kid that sat down at the table and asked you that question, they were cool. They were so cool. And you think about it, like, man, they were cool. Wait a minute. Did, but do, do they, what else do they got? Like, is he going to say something else? Is he going to come back? Smoke. Also, Nassim, I really liked Rutger Hauer's performance in this. I mean, it, he looked like a replicant. He, you know, I don't think, you know, if I met that guy on the street, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's definitely a replicant. <laughs> but I think he gave a very, like, chilling performance that I really enjoyed. And I think that's also just him as an actor, I think, in from the roles I've seen him in. I have mixed feelings about him when it comes to the ending. We'll talk about that in spoilers. Mm, yeah. It's like, man, I kind of, I appreciate, I feel like, because I, I know he put a lot into the character and I know like this was a creative decision. So I don't really I don't feel right knocking it. But at the same time, like, um, you know, I don't know how I really feel about that. But everything else up until that moment. Yeah, he's great. I wish we had more time with him. This movie, I also wish was two hours and 43 minutes. Honestly, I, I could have done with more of this movie. What else would you like to say about this? I really loved the character design particularly of the female characters of Rachel and Pris I think that their character and costume design was fantastic it's it's absolutely stunning I was too busy looking at their personality but I guess if I was really to think about it I know uh yeah um this movie is not just visually impressive for its production design but costume design hair makeup everything just looks great in here uh this it, you know is really uh you know, I can see why there was so much, why this had influenced so much. Like, I can see a visual artist looking at this and being inspired to, to draw or to create something like this. Um, something else I really liked in this film was just the lighting. There's, like, a brilliant use of backlighting here. And I know that they rented a lot of neon signs for the lighting as well. There is a particular scene where Deckard is chasing a particular replicant. And they had to, like, set up this whole, like, storefront. And they put neon signs in the store windows and filmed with multiple cameras at different frame rates. And it gave kind of, like, a pulsing effect because of the, the frame rates with the neon lights. And that scene is probably going to be one of my favorite scenes in cinema of all time now. Because it's just, it's so beautifully done. And it's so just, like, visually appealing. It's It's fantastic. There's not a lot of... This film, the world that this film creates is very dark. It's very gritty. You see a lot of dark shadows. You see a lot of contrast in the lighting. 
And then you'll get these pops of color, these splashes of color, and they just shine so much more brightly because of that contrast between the like dark gritty feel of it and then suddenly you'll have this neon um and it's it's so wonderful to look at i loved the cinematography here this movie is why i originally thought that neon has something to do with neo-noir i thought this movie put the neon in neo-noir which it did so when i looked it up and found out like really what it meant it's like oh well that's a little disappointing but i still yeah this moment I mean, this movie has great moments of when it balances between the darkness and the color, which really, um, which really builds this world in like, yeah, you know, we are technologically advanced and there's a lot of things here to keep you entertained. But at the same time, it's, it's a very dark and dreary place. Uh, that scene that you liked, I'm, it's another one I have mixed feelings with because of the choreography for it. Yeah. Like I, I see why you love it. There are a lot of things, but it's like 90% of it I love, but it's just the choreography for it is, it's like not laughable for me, but is if for lack of a lesser word, I'll say it's laughable. I don't know. I mean, I kind of thought that about 2049 though. I didn't really think that the choreography was anything too special in that one. It all felt robotic even there as well. So I think it makes sense for the story. Right, now let's talk about 2049. Now the... The sequel to this movie, the legacy sequel. If we had a podcast back in the day, this we would have we would have done this film. Yeah. No, but uh, time travel does not exist. So here we are talking about it now. And I really felt like this was a movie that deserves to be talked about. Not just there's some movies that say like we watch and hey, you should go out and watch the sequel afterwards. But it's not worth bringing into the conversation of the episode. I think this is a movie that is worth bringing into the episode, and I hope it's not just because of me, and I know that like, there's some fanboys who really love this movie for reasons, and Caitlin has made fun of me and kind of, um, what's it called, kind of implied it. So, really curious, Caitlin, what did you think of this movie? So, I said before that I thought that Blade Runner, the 1982 version, was going to be like the more Hollywood action movie. And then my notion for this was that this was going to be more of the artsy, serious film. And I think it was kind of opposite. <laughs> I think that this movie was a little bit more Hollywood and I think it was kind of shallow. I thought the plot was kind of silly. Um, I I mean, there's things I appreciate about this film. I mean, I always love Ryan Gosling. But I think after watching the original Blade Runner, this was kind of a letdown for me, to be honest. Yeah, I got to say, I, I can't agree. And watching it a second time, I actually liked the story a lot more. Um, I actually, I like the themes of this one more than I like the themes of the first one. Because I think the themes of the first one, no no fault against it. Because it's, you know, they were the creator, they're the pioneer. But we've seen a lot of like, what makes a human really human. And we've seen a lot about that, that empathy. I think when empathy is probably the biggest thing. And in this movie... Uh, which is kind of hard to say the theme of this movie because it goes into the plot. But yeah, I, I enjoy the story here more. I enjoy the character. I, I enjoy the character arc a lot more. I feel like there was an actual character arc and there was actual development in this movie. It is actiony. I, I like the action though. I think this has probably, if you look at it within length and you put it down on paper, this has about the same action to rest of the film ratio that Blade Runner, the original one has, but I like the action a lot better here. A lot of it is bigger to scale, but I think, man, um, I, I think the, yeah, the choreography is just 
better when it comes to those action and those fight scenes. Uh, I think, I know, Caitlin, you called me basic for this, and I keep thinking about it, and I just, I, no other words want to come out of my mouth. This is the second most visually impressive movie I've ever seen. And yeah, the first one is Avatar Way of the Water in IMAX. My- IMAX is as good as Dolby. <laughs> Where I only had the opportunity to see an IMAX. So if you haven't seen Avatar in IMAX or Dolby, Caitlin, then I don't want to hear anything you say, okay? Because it's not the same thing. But um, like that's, I guess, you know, that's my opinion. That's what was, you know, art is subjective. And yeah, I'm kind of saying that as a cop out. So, you know, you don't get on me, but I respect your opinion still. Uh, but yeah, for me, this is just, you sent me a video, Caitlin, of like, um, what director fans say about their favorite director. A lot of them were true. Cause what you, what they said about Stanley Kubrick, about being this amazing director, that was me when I first got into Stanley Kubrick. When I first got into film, it was a lot of those, a lot of those quotes that I was saying. And when it comes to the fans of uh, Denise Villeneuve, a lot of them say like, 2049 is just one of the most spectacular and visually impressive movies of all time. And Caitlin, 2049 is one of the most spectacular and visually impressive movies of all time. Hey, I love it. Yeah, see, I I wasn't a fan of the visuals, actually. I mean, I liked to a degree, to a degree. But this is where where it all it comes down to preference and, and subjective nature, because one of the things that I've always said about sci-fi is that I don't like flat sci-fi. I think for me, Dennis Villeneuve's style, and I saw this with Dune too, and that was my main complaint with Dune, is that his style is very sterile to me. He uses a lot of open spaces, and his the lenses that he uses too for me is a big issue because so Ridley Scott when he did Blade Runner, he used anamorphic lenses, and anamorphic lenses play a big influence on the depth of field and the crispness of the focal point, and um. So just a little bit of background, there's anamorphic lenses and there's spherical lenses. And so spherical lenses project images onto a sensor without affecting their aspect ratio, but anamorphic lenses project a compressed image. So visually, what this kind of presents as, you see different effects of anamorphic lenses. You see softer edges, you see more pronounced bokeh and lens flares. Um, I saw an article that says that anamorphic lenses give a little bit more of a painterly type look to the visual scene. Uh, which is a good kind of artistic way of saying it. Whereas with spherical lenses, you get more realism and clarity. And Roger Deakins with Blade Runner 2049, he uses spherical lenses. He uses Zeiss prime lenses, spherical lenses. That's what he likes to work with. So visually, these two films have a completely different visual language. And for me, I just don't like the look of the spherical lenses in Blade Runner 2049. It's my personal preferences for how I like to take in sci-fi um i just don't like that clearness i don't like that sharpness i like a little bit more of that painterly look okay so i get that and you are heard and you are loved and i respect your opinion but you know that it's, it's subjective so one you can stop bullying me all the time because actually it makes more sense now why we differ in opinion because this is a sci-fi that i like more mm-hmm. while i do like blade runner and a lot of the movies to come from it, uh, such as, you know, we, we had a lot of like that dystopian look. And one thing with Blade Runner, too, is not really claustrophobic, but there's a lot going on in the scenes. And there's just a lot of a lot of retrofitting surrounding them. You can see the movies like Brazil. Uh, I watched a little bit of Alien 3 and I saw that in there. Uh, not the movie that I really want to bring up, uh, but I'm blanking on the other one that I wanted to say. 
Yeah, so for me, this is the kind of, I like this. Yeah, I like, I, well, sterile is a good word for it because the word I was about to use is clean. Uh, so I do like this sterile look of of the world. Um, I think it's also more, it feels a little bit more positive and maybe that's why I like it a bit more too. Blade Runner looks like every, we, wait, what was that look for? It, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't think it's positive. For me, it just makes me feel like I'm like in a hospital. Uh, okay, so Blade Runner makes me feel like the original Blade Runner is like I got stabbed and dropped off in an alley. <laughs> and that's like what I'm looking around out. And then I get transported to the hospital and I'm in 2049. Now, you guys ask yourself a question. <laughs> Where do you want to be at that moment? And I don't think anything's wrong with it because I, I really I like the look of it. I appreciate the look of that um, of that dystopian future. But I prefer the sterile clean. I'm not saying everything's got to be super chrome. But I, I do like that look. I do like the large spaces. Um, God dang, I, I know, Caitlin, I'm basic, quote unquote. I love Roger Deakins. Uh, Roger Deakins is my favorite cinematographer. I think he's amazing in what he does. He works with Denise Villeneuve. By the way, it's Denise, not Dennis. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a fanboy. I'm saying that because you usually get on me for not speaking properly. So I get my shots in when I can. <laughs> uh, so Denise Villeneuve. He works with Roger Deakins a lot. Uh, Prisoners and Sicario are other films that you can see with Roger Deakins. And they, I don't know, all his shots just look incredible. I like those, I like those wide open spaces. I love those wide open shots. Uh, to me, they're gorgeous and I just want to stare at them all day. But for me, that's not cyberpunk. So like watching 2049, the production design wasn't there. Um, because he, you know, you're not really in the gritty city as much. You're in more like random landscapes you're in just sterile buildings that don't really have a lot of production design to it and i noticed that with dune too that was my issue with dune and so like for me like that takes me out of the sci-fi the cyberpunk element like it's just not there for me so i didn't really feel like i was watching a cyberpunk film i thought i was watching a sci-fi film yes but i didn't feel like i was watching a cyberpunk film i'll give you that and i will say 2049 is not the example of a cyberpunk uh, movie or property i would say yeah blade runner does it does a much better job on it i would say in like its defense like you know i've seen blade runner and now 2049 i get to see more of the entire world and it makes sense you know like him going into the outskirts that not everything is as uh as as clustered and you don't yeah you don't get a lot of that cyberpunk and you do get more of the technology and i think that's also another reason why i enjoy this more and i like this type of sci-fi because I like to see that technological advancement. What they do with the CGI, and that's I think this is a great example, side-by-side -side comparison of what you can do with practical effects and how with the introduction of CGI, we didn't lose any creativeness. Uh, you can still be just as creative with CGI as you can with practical effects. And there are some things that are done here in this movie that I just find to be like just a technological achievement. Like the way Joy looks, the character Joy played by Anna de Armas, um, you know, yeah, I'm in love with her, but <laughs> but still what they did with her character, if it was anybody else, I would find it as impressive because like she's she's standing there and she's a hologram, but it's not a straight up hologram. And it, you kind of really have to focus to see that she's actually translucent and you can see through. Well, you you guys know what translucent means, um, <laughs> but there's also this scene where she's like syncing up with a physical body. And it's just it, I, I find that amazing. Like that was captivating to me. I think there are some visuals too that I just got tired of. Like there's this one like place where there's just repeated like orange waves, lighting waves, like in the, it's like 
I felt like it was just there to fill up a space. And I feel like my issue, too, with the, the visuals of this is sometimes they didn't really serve a purpose. And I'm not saying that all the visuals in Blade Runner served a purpose either, but I felt like a little bit more, like, why did this need to be here? <laughs> what was the purpose of this? And it was, like, so repetitive that I just got really tired of it. Well, you know, it's a trend. Everybody got into it. Somebody put it up on Pinterest and everybody else wanted to do it. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what I thought of. <laughs> I will say I did look up... uh how they were doing the lighting for this. I didn't realize how much goes into lighting. Like they had a, a full on what looked to me like to be a construction plan for lighting mm-hmm. and how they did that orange scene was, is really dope. Yeah. I mean, lighting is so difficult. It's so difficult. I have so much respect for people who like draw all those lighting plans and, and can have that mind of what lights need to go where, because it is really a feat. And uh, 2049, while I don't think the lighting was how I personally like it, there definitely was a lot of technique and precision there in the lighting. Yeah, there were things in there that I didn't think of, like how they were, in one scene, they're moving the light as the characters are moving down the hall. But yeah, I I really like this film. I see what you're saying with a lot of it. And yeah, I don't think this is the cyberpunk film. Uh, a lot of it, yeah, is your clean, sterile sci-fi. But I guess it is something I enjoy more. There is a bit of an Uncanny Valley CGI moment that I really didn't like. But other than that, I think the CGI is fine. Um, As far as characterization goes, I didn't think it was anything special. I mean, Ryan Gosling definitely was livelier than Harrison Ford was. But I don't think that his character growth or development was anything too involved. And then all the other characters surrounding him are, are pretty flat. Um, the plot points I'll have to talk more about in spoilers because I just, I hated the plot of this film and I really can't talk about it until I get to spoilers, but, but we'll talk about it there. Yeah, that's, that's interesting you say. I got to see what plot points you hated about it. I will say that I enjoy this the second time more, but it's probably because I did watch, I know a couple years ago, I watched a, like an analyst video of this going through the character. And then that's like when I was really liking the story. Even more. I like. I liked it the first time that I watched it, but when I watched that video going more into his character, I liked it. And I think this is a movie that's more involved with the conversation of his themes, or at least more than Blade Runner, the original one was. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? Yeah, I think that there's also villains in this story that don't really serve much purpose or they're very one-dimensional. Um, the first film didn't... I wouldn't say the first film really had villains... Um, but this one definitely has clear-cut bad guys in this film. I wouldn't say that this one really has, I would say that this one does have a bad guy. Like, there is, there is an antagonist, there is a threat, but I don't think they're all, I I think the other one that you're saying is a clear-cut villain, I don't really think so as much. Um, but yeah, I I don't think they're that involved in the story. I feel like there's a clear-cut villain, and then there's also the villain's henchman, and it wasn't really past much henchman status. Hey, henchmen, they're just they are just there to do their job, <laughs> all right? Nobody goes in a henchman looking to get laterally promoted, okay? It's like an internship. Another thing I didn't like about this, and it was also, this is something I'll say about the plot, but without spoilers, is that there's some, like, revelations or things that are treated as plot twists in the story that are undercut because we were already told about it earlier in the story. So when we it gets brought up again, it's acted like it's supposed to be a surprise, but it's not really because it was spelled out very clearly for us. I'm interested to see which one that is because while I was watching this, I was like, how did I not see that coming? But at the same time, I don't know if I'm just looking for it now. But there was I, I, there were some plot twists in this one that got me. 
Now, let's talk about the influence of this movie, which is, you know, I, I, if you guys aren't sitting down, probably want to be now. Caitlin, you have a lot, so I'm going to let you go first. Starting with the original Blade Runner, and if any of the 2049s go into it, just let us know, because some of it does cross over. I guess I'll start with cyberpunk in general, because this in general is just very influential in the cyberpunk genre. Um, cyberpunk is a science fiction genre, and there's a website called studiobinder.com. I'll link on our social media, but this is how they define cyberpunk. They say cyberpunk is a science fiction subgenre dealing with the integration of society and technology in dystopian settings. Often referred to as low life and high tech, cyberpunk stories deal with outsiders, punks, who fight against the oppressors in society, usually mega corporations, and control everything via technological means. If the punks aren't actually fighting against the megacorp, they're still dealing with living a world completely dependent on high technology. So cyberpunk really started, of course, with dystopian literature. And of course, Philip K. Dick with Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep was one of the leading sci-fi literature um, books. Uh, dystopian literature, of course, existed before this, but I think literature started to see a greater integration of technology and the downside of that technology. So then the Blade Runner film came along, and it really kicked off the genre before it was even really solidified as a genre, and is followed shortly by William Gibson's book, The Neuromancer series, uh, which I have read, and also the Akira manga series. So cyberpunk would then go on to inspire a whole bunch of other stuff. It would inspire the tabletop RPG, Cyberpunk 2077, of which the video game is based on. Uh, Blade Runner is directly cited as an influence to Ghost in the Shell franchise and several other cyberpunk properties. And 2077 is not the only video game. Another big one is uh, Day X. That's one that I've been wanting to play for a while, and I think it may even be on Game Pass. Uh, have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. Yeah, but there's there's so much that you can find in, inspired by this. Just video games, anime, movie, manga, uh, even cars. The Tesla Cybertruck was inspired by Blade Runner, Elon Musk said. Yeah. Um, like you said, there is other things in this franchise. There is a comic book adaptation from Marvel Comics in 1982. There's two video games based on this, one from 1985 and another from 1997. Um, there, of course, was a sequel of Blade Runner 2049 and an anime series called Blade Runner Black Lotus. Uh, with the success of 2049, it also revitalized the franchise, so we're also looking at an Amazon series coming out that's called Blade Runner 2099, and there's supposed to be another video game as well called Blade Runner 2033 Labyrinth that's to be set between the movie and the anime. Yeah, that's why I was like, did this really fail at the box office? Because Warner Brothers is still going ahead with these properties. Like, they're still, um, well, I guess it's Amazon that's really going ahead with the Cyberpunk TV show, which is going to be a limited series, which I'm actually happy to hear. I'm starting to become uh, liking limited series more than full-on seasons. Agreed. This film also kicked off a surge of Philip K. Dick adaptations as well with Total Recall and Minority Apart as well. Yes, and actually they made a crossover spinoff, or like they made a hybrid film and TV series spinoff called Total Recall 2070, uh, which is a combination of Blade Runner and Total Recall. So yeah, like some people have taken this and kind of said it's in the Blade Runner universe, which you can, I feel like you can easily do. There's nothing that's like really, 
you know, I don't think there's really anything in this Blade Running universe that is going to tie someone down creatively. So, like, you can, you really can. He built a world that you can easily adapt from. Other films, oh, this is one that I wanted to mention was uh, Fifth Element. That's another one that you can see a lot of uh, from this. Dark City, I haven't seen. I know we, we have to do that one day. Uh, this also, there have been three novel sequels from this uh, from this movie. And, well, from the book, from the success of the movie. It was actually done by Dick's friend, K.W. Jeter. Uh, have you heard about those books, Caitlin? Yeah, those are... Oh, can, can we get that nope a little bit? Nope. Um, yeah, this is, uh, they're direct sequels that go further into Deckard's life after this. Which I'm actually interested, because I'm interested in Deckard, uh, but I feel like I didn't, I didn't get enough of them. But, but these novelizations are, so they're sequels to the movie? No, these are direct sequels of the book. And actually, they tried to, so the books were designed, and they kind of tie up, and, because I know some things, I'm guessing some things don't line up between the book and the movie, and like how you can continue on from it, but the way his friend Jeter had had done it he made it work somehow yeah i'm not sure because like i said the relationship between deckard and rachel are so different but i don't know how you would tie those together retcon but (laughs) but the books are called like blade runner 2 blade runner 3 blade runner 4 but they did when i was reading about it they said that yeah they he he made it away he somehow retconned or not even retconned it but he made it so that they actually tie in and continue on from the book. Yeah, see, I don't like that. <laughs> I feel like that's what Marvel does with all their comics. Like, oh, we're going to make it more like the bo- the movies. So we're going to retcon and change up what you like from the book. <laughs> like, just leave the book alone and let them have it be its separate thing. I don't think you need to connect them. Well, they didn't do a full-on retcon. Like, yeah, I don't like that with Marvel either. Like, I don't know. This The guy did something. Let's, 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 let's see what he did. All right. <laughs> he did something. You look into it, you let me know, because I, I didn't read the book, so I didn't look into it too much. You know, I didn't want to get things spoiled for me. I may read the book, may not. So, I don't know, Caitlin, you look into that, or somebody else look into that. Let us know on our social media. If not, you know, still go ahead and follow us. There's also documentaries on this as well. And you can also find a lot of things on YouTube from creators and film analysts. Now, this is a significant movie, of course. You know, you can't have all that influence and you can't be the cyberpunk movie without being significant. I mean, that in itself is the cyberpunk, the first cyberpunk movie. And this is also considered, Caitlin, like you said, this is just one of the best movies. This is also one of the best neo-noirs. No, neo-noir has nothing to do with neon. And it's also known as just one of the best sci-fi movies out there. Like, if it's two genres, sub-genres, like, Best movie, best sci-fi, best neo-noir. It fits those. Visually impressive movie. This is just a movie that is going to be talked about forever. It's a significant movie in in pop culture. You mentioned that this was the first of Dick's film uh, novels that were adapted to film. You didn't list them off though, did you? I said totally. Yeah. Another one you have is a Scanner Darkly, which I didn't realize. Scanner Darkly is 2006. You're thinking no, of I'm Scanners. Thinking, no, I'm thinking of Fruit of Glass Darkly. No idea what that was. A Scanner Darkly, I've been meaning to watch because that's a Richard Linklater film. And I didn't realize that was an adaption of his novel. Uh, I've been kind of holding off on that one because of the animation, but I, will, I still want to watch it. There are seven different cuts of this movie. Nobody can make up their goddamn mind what they wanted to do. I know I say Warner Brothers, like I like them because they give more creative 
control and freedom than I think than other studios. Granted, it's still a low ratio. Like a studio, a big studio like that is still a big studio. Uh, this is one of their bad examples where they 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 had too much control. Like they filmed their last shot as the producers were going to come in here and take control, creative control from Ridley Scott. And that's because this film, they showed it to test audience when the film wasn't done. Uh, they had something called a stand-in score, which, do you know what that means, Caitlin? Is it like they just put it over top of the film, like it's not actually done yet? Yeah, so I don't think it was actually, it wasn't even actually part of the film yet. So they kind of had two different things going and it didn't sound right. And test audience, they didn't like what they were seeing with that test footage. Uh, so, hey, the audience don't like it and they're supposed to be your survey audience. Warner Bros. like, all right, we got to change something up. And I think also with this with this kind of film being so original, even the studio didn't know how to approach its changes. So it just led into all these different cuts of the film. You have an international, you even have an international cut alongside the U.S. cut, which is different as different when it comes to the level of gore, which I'm guessing the studio probably wanted to make it more accessible to the U.S. audience. So they had less gore in the films, which is weird now because we probably America probably now has the least censorship when it comes to movies i'll say france is definitely the lowest france i don't even think they have a rating system i think everything is just ready g uh but so the big cuts that you have you have the original theatrical cut which wasn't received well uh one of the things that it had was a happy ending studios for some reason they think that they're always been focused and we still see it today that they like to unless it's a horror movie horror movie is actually the opposite i'll get to that in a second uh they like to make sure that the audience is feeling good. And actually, you kind of see in horror movies too, like something's bad is going to happen to a character. They got to make that character unlikable. You can't have your audience having, you can't have your audience have conflicting feelings, even when they already paid money to see the movie. So the theatrical cut, everybody had mixed views, but then later on, they had like this sneak preview release come out in, I believe, San Diego. And it, it did well. So they were like, all right, let's go ahead. Let's get back with Ridley Scott. Let's see if we can go ahead and get his director's cut out there. See if it can if it can do something better than what we did with the theatrical. So they went ahead and they released it with the director's cut. Uh, director's cut. Then 25 years later, you had the final cut in 2007. And this was this is Ridley Scott's definitive vision. Like he says, this is my favorite vision. Actually, Blade Runner is his favorite film out of all of his movies that um that is just the one that he loves the most which is saying something because he has a lot of movies you know we just talk about Thelma and Louise but also you have Alien and Gladiator two other movies that people consider to be top movies so um he had a lot of passion when it when it came to this so it's, it's really good to hear that he got to come back and make the uh what's it called make the the final cut they called it which has like seven minutes to this and really it just kind of changes up the ending and I, I like the ending. I like what they did. I'm glad they released this final cut. I guess this is like the first, um, you know, we have we have Snyder cut and this was the the Scott cut. Those later cuts also removed the voiceover that was in the theatrical release, which I'm very very glad it got rid of because I don't think I would have liked it so much if it had a voiceover from Deckard in it. Yeah, that just and that was their way of doing it in post, like fixing things up. That was the other problem with the theatrical cut is that the film was already shot. So the things that they were adding in and trying to do different were were rushed. And it was probably trying to be more friendly because again, the biggest successful sci-fi movie of that of that year was E.T. 
So they were probably like, oh man, everybody likes E.T. And E.T. is uh, has a happy ending, I think. Doesn't he leave or something? Doesn't he phone home? It's a bittersweet ending. Uh, Sid Mead's production design, we keep talking about the production side of this movie. Uh, that's something of significance as well. Like a lot of people are just going to be able to look at this and go, yeah, that's Blade Runner. And that's what I have for the original significance. Caitlin, what do you have? Just that this film had a lot of Asian influences uh, in the film. You can see it in the city world building. And that's just a staple of cyberpunk in general. And part of it's just because a lot of like the neon colors in the urban areas were influenced by cities like Tokyo and Hong Kong. Uh, and so some of that that's brought into the cyberpunk genre is just using Asian culture for aesthetic because Japan was going through such a technological boom at the time that properties such as Blade Runner and a Neuromancer were coming out. But it also stems, too, from a sense of globalism and also a bit of a xenophobic fear of Japan taking over the U.S. And actually some criticism that Blade Runner 2049 got was that, you know, but they use this culture so much. Well, both of them do, but they don't have any Asian characters featured. But I think Blade Runner 2049 gets a little bit more... um, against it for just because it is a more modern movie and like you see Anna Darmus's character wearing the um I don't want to say it wrong but the the costuming oh okay yeah I see that and yeah you definitely I mean you see that in the Cyberpunk 2077 game mm-hmm. and like that's your kind of your big uh, actually those those are like the the top of the top the the top corpo is corpo is Japanese I believe it's Japanese yeah you had anything else yeah, I mean, at least, I mean, for 27 Sun, at least, like, you can say there are Asian characters, like, a more diverse character selection, but Blade Runner, not so much. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I agree. Yeah, thinking about it, yeah, there should be, there should have been some addition in 2049 with his cast. And also for 2077, they have the little anime that was done by um, a Japanese production studio, so that's kind of cool. Now, 2049 is significant as well. Uh, Caitlin, what do you have? I just noted that this was the third film that Deakins and Villeneuve collaborated with. They also did work together in Prisoners as a Cardio working together. Yeah, yeah, those uh, two I mentioned. And this may have been the first one. I forget if uh, Hans Zimmer, this may have been their first collaboration, which did you like the score in this one at least? Yeah, I also do think, but the score also played off of the original score, correct? I thought I heard some similarities. There may have been some callbacks and references because I mean, even like with the certain like I was looking at a kind of a shot by shot comparison of these movies and there's a lot of similar shots. So they may have done a little something, but for the most part, I think it was the original score. Well, no, actually, I don't know. I don't know if it was. I don't think it was original because I feel like it would have gotten nominated if it was original. It sounded like it was revitalizing the original score. Yeah, which I mean, it sounded great. I've actually listened. I've actually listened to this, uh, this score before. This movie. So this is kind of what sealed the deal for Denise Villeneuve and Dune, which again is weird because Dune is also Warner Brothers and Denise Villeneuve made a movie that didn't make Warner Brothers money. But Warner Brothers said, you know what? That movie is pretty dope. So yeah, come on, come over here. They're like, we don't even care if Dune makes money. We just, somebody in Warner Brothers just loves like sci-fi and, and they just, they're like, hey man, we give you the money, make movies for us. Which is why if I like if I had Jeff Bezos' money, I would produce a movie just for me. And the other interesting thing about this movie is that Denise Villeneuve he called this a 150 million or he called this a blockbuster art film. And 
it really is for like 150 million dollars you're not going to find a similar movie to it you're not going to find a movie with that action to story ratio uh it, it really it really is a one once in a like it was kind of a fluke that we got this film and we're not going to get this film we're not going to get it often and if we do get it it really is a slip up in, in some way uh or like a glitch in the matrix because studio wise financially it doesn't make sense to try to do this again. So nobody's going to try to do this again. They may try to do something different and accidentally make something that's going to be significant, but it's not going to be this. Like this isn't going to. So this is kind of the opposite of influence or in a way influence negativity that like, hey, let's not try that again. But it's I, I like I just like the fact that we have it, though, like it's you know we hear a lot of times that there's just a lot of projects like oh man this sounds awesome i wish they did adapt that i wish we did get that even though like it probably wouldn't have been financially successful so that's why they couldn't move on with it but with this this is one of those projects that we we fortunately got or i fortunately and some other people got i'd say it's on par with like mad max though how much was mad max well mad max is a full-out action film though yeah but i don't think that this is an art film (laughs) I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean like it's a full on art film, but if you look at like, if you look at the, the pacing of the story, you look at the, you look at the runtime, two hours and 43 minutes, you look at the action to non-action scene ratio, this being a $150, $50 million movie, it's unlike any other $150, it's unlike any blockbuster budget. I'd have to do more research. Okay. Yeah. It's just something I've, I've seen throughout the years. I mean, Mad Max is a... It's a good one to put up, but I think that one is a full out. That one's an action movie. Like that one's going to bring people in. Like that trailer was wild enough. And also, I think um, it's certainly not art house, but I don't think this. No, no, no. Like I don't. I'm not saying that I fully agree with Denise Villeneuve that this is an art film. I'm not saying this is a blockbuster art film, but I'm saying that this is a blockbuster film that is different than the other ones of budget, um, of, of the same budget. Like you're not gonna find this this type of movie. What about Oppenheimer? How much was Oppenheimer? This one was one fifty. That's it's close. It's fifty percent increase. But but no, Oppenheimer and actually Oppenheimer is a anomaly. An anomaly. Yeah. So actually that's what I'll call it. It's, a, it's an anomaly. Like you look at this and it's like, okay, that's cool we got it. I ain't gonna try it. Even I wouldn't try to do it if I had that money. Yeah. Unless again, unless I had Jeff Bezos movie, then I'd be like, hey, <laughs> Blade Runner, thirty forty. Let's do it. Like just we we can just screen it for me. I'll I'll watch it three times. I'll watch it to get the budget back. Who would you recommend this movie to? Uh, the original one. Let's go first with that one. Uh, definitely not a general audience for this one. I think I would definitely give this more towards cinephiles, the people who can sit through a more slow paced art film, more artsy film. Yeah, I would say because again, I don't fully agree that this is a art film yeah it's not an art film but it's definitely more artsy i think and more slower paced than the sequel i think um i think that if you're someone who wants to learn more about cyberpunk in general then i definitely would recommend this movie yeah definitely if you're interested in cyberpunk watch this movie i would also say oh something i forgot to mention with the influence uh for those who have are interested in playing cyberpunk 2077 or watching the movie vice versa there are three in-game references uh, in Cyberpunk 2077 that you can go ahead and find. There's like actual Easter eggs. Do you have like a link or something you can share? I do. But then you guys won't be able to find it for yourselves exploring for 300 hours. 
can you share it with me so I don't have to play the game all over again to find it? <laughs> yeah, like there's actually one like you go up and there's just a man who's he's like uh, he's sitting down looking down and he's holding a dove in his hand. Yeah, I would recommend this for anybody that wants to learn more about cyberpunk. Anybody who wants to see a good example. Uh, anybody who's interested, yeah, definitely cinephiles. Anyone who's interested in production design. Um, also, I like I know how I said 2049 is more artsy, but I'm going to say they're about the same. Now thinking about it, I'm going to bring back some. I know you still disagree with me, but I'm going to bring it back. Just I'm going to meet you halfway. Halfway. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely... Yeah, I, I can't recommend this to general audience. I think if you have an interest in this, just know that, hey, this is a slow movie. All right, this is not the movie you think it's going to be, okay? And then, you know, be careful who you're going to bring along with you to watch this. Like, if you have a friend, significant other, that, you know, they may not like movies as much as you do, but you think, like, oh, man, like, come on. This is this is Blade Runner. Like, he's going to be going after these replicants. You and I, we both can enjoy it at the same time. They may get up and leave. Uh, but still, if you... Can handle that pacing. Great film. Very boring. <laughs> That's oh, boring. <laughs> wait, wait, Caitlin, go ahead and say that in the mic for us. <laughs> Caitlin may or may not have watched this with somebody, and they did not. They were not enjoying this. <laughs> Actually, I watched this with somebody, and he. Uh, I was watching this with my uncle. He he watches a lot of movies, and he said like, he was already kind of tired. We watched it late. He's like, yeah, I was liking a bit of it, but it was way slower than I thought it was going to be. Who would you recommend 2049 to, except for Denise Villeneuve, basic fans? All right, let's say something a little positive. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you like Dune, you're probably going to like this movie. I think that there's a lot of similarities between the two of them in just the way that they're structured and created. I think that his style really is the same in both of these films. Um, so if you like Dune, you'll like it. I think that if you are a sci-fi enjoyer, not just a cyberpunk, but if you like sci-fi in general, I think you're going to like this a little bit more. Yeah, I'll definitely say if you like sci-fi, if sci-fi is your favorite genre, which it has become my favorite genre over drama, I definitely recommend this. This is, I don't think it's my all-time favorite sci-fi, but it's definitely like within the top three. I can say that for sure. Uh, it is funny you mentioned Doom because while watching this, I was like, man, what Del Toro did with Blade 2 um, going on to Hellboy is what Denise Villeneuve did with, um, with 2049 going into Doom, where I'm like, Someone must have said, like, hey, if you can do this right, we'll give you this movie. Because mm -hmm. there's, like, a little bit of practice going on here. Oh, definitely. Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start up our spoilers to weed out any replicants out there. So, if you have not seen this film, go ahead, stop here. Go watch the film. Watch the final cut, all right? Unless you're, you want to see what that theatrical cut is. If you want to see the other cut, I'll say watch the final cut and then go watch the other cuts, deleted scenes. Because I'm actually interested and how they butchered it, but I'm not watching the whole movie over again. And then 2049, go ahead, watch 2049. Once you watch both of those movies, join us, you know, three weeks later on. Once you have made that time, uh, come back. Now, if you are, if you already seen both films, you know, you can commit like myself, continue on through with us. If you're one of those weird people who don't care about spoilers, you know what? We welcome you too. Caitlin, where do you want to start off with spoilers? Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> Is Deckard a replicant? No, I don't think Deckard is a replicant. I, I've seen the theories for it. I've seen some additional things. I've seen like some, uh, I know what the final cut, you know, they put down that origami uh, unicorn, but I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I agree with you. I think personally, I don't think that he's a replicant in the book. He certainly isn't, but um, there's definitely 
things in the final cut that would make the reference not just to the unicorn but also uh there's a scene where there appears to be a little bit of glow in his eyes that's one thing that you always see with replicants um and a couple other things that just kind of point to it but i think that's all that it is i think it just points to it uh ridley scott has said in interviews that he seems to think that deckard is a replicant he kind of every time he mentioned it he kind of gives like a cheeky little laugh though so like i don't really know <laughs> what he means by that uh, but Harrison Ford has also argued that he isn't. So there just seems to be even between uh, the cast and crew, but there's different opinions there. My reply to Harrison Ford would be, would be for me to say, that's what a replicant would say. <laughs> yeah, right. I Yeah, it doesn't fit with me. I, I just don't see that. And it it does feel like really Scott's just playing with people. Like, I feel like if I like lived, if I was like his roommate, just every now and then he'd come out, he's like, hey, Decker was a replicant. Nah, I'm just messing with you. No, he wasn't. Or was he? Or was it? Yeah. Like, man, can can you move so I can get in the fridge? I'm tired of this game. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the vibe I get from him too. <laughs> we talked about the, you know, talking about Decker, we talked about issues with their relationship. I'm guessing the same scene stood out to you. The whole blocking the door, not letting her leave, and then instructing her, ordering her to kiss him and tell him that, you know, she wants she wants to kiss him. She wants to hold him. How did you feel about that scene? I mean, it's not a great scene. It doesn't hold up. Uh, there's definitely dubious consent here. It, it's it's not good. Um, I think I wasn't entirely sure watching it where it was going with the nature of their relationship just because having read the book, like I said, it's very different. It's not really a loving relationship in the book. Um, so I just didn't really know where it was going when I first watched it. But but definitely it's it's not not great. <laughs> it's not, and I don't know how I felt about it the first time. Uh, the first time when I finished the movie, it was again. It was one of those like I was really expecting something else, so I was kind of I don't know, just the way my mind was tuned when I finished it. I was like, okay. But yeah, when I saw it in the theater, it's like, ooh, yeah, this is what? Why? Like, is this supposed to? Is it supposed to be romantic? Are we? You know, saying something else about Deckard, but then he leaves with Deckard and, and then it's kind of insinuated more like they have this romantic relationship because he's worried about her. But again, it's just like one of those things where why, you could have who wrote this because you could have easily wrote that to still be an intimate scene. Like, you know, instead of instructing her to kiss me, because say, like, tell me how you feel, because it kind of watching it the third time I was thinking, is he like trying to get her to tell him how she really feels because it is going through her head that she is um that she wants to kiss him that she wants to do this but she is because you can tell that she's holding back because she doesn't want to go forward with this uh for multiple reasons so maybe he's just telling telling her what's on her mind but at the same time there's not enough given there and i will say as a guide me um i would say as a guy that you know i can read people really well but I, I'm not taking that kind of chance. I'm not taking that kind of gamble. I would never think that any girl's into me that much. Yeah, I can never see myself being like, yeah, kiss me. And then having to tell later in court, like, I only told her that because she was thinking it. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that it was trying to play it off is that she actually was feeling these things, but she was just in a bad place because of her being a replicant and just now learning about it. And he was just trying to, you know, I don't know, make her understand her own feelings, but that's not how things work in real life. <laughs> he was mansplaining her own feelings. Yeah, that was it. Manstructing. Uh, I think also with 
because yeah, I think she was doubting her emotions. That's why I saw more this third time watching is that she was doubting her emotions. So she couldn't trust any action she wanted to make because she had an implant in her. And obviously kind of everything, the drawing board was there and she's not making any decision on her own. So that's, so yeah, I can see that argument for there. But again, I'm saying more than I think the film is actually saying. Yeah, I think that's also just the fault of the characterization of Deckard in general in here, but I just don't understand because, like I said, in the book, he's just not a very good guy. Um, He does things for selfish reasons, and he doesn't always make the best decisions, and he's not really a likable character. And then you get here, and you have Harrison Ford, who's given us nothing, and then you have the scene. I'm like, well, am I supposed to... Like, am I supposed to not like him? Like, is he supposed to be a hero protagonist? Like, what am I supposed to actually think of him? I don't know, because, like I said, Harrison Ford's given us nothing here. So, I I don't know. And it doesn't help that right before the scene, he rushes after her, stands in front of her way, and then slams the door. Like, every single step of that is aggressive. So, I have no reason to think that this is supposed to be romantic. How did you feel about the ending I, I already said that batty i didn't like his whole chasing deckard around like it felt it got a little too loony for me and i i hate to say that because i know it was some creative choices you know it's like it's like somebody showing you their art project and it's like dang man that's you know like what you went for and everything i just don't think it's i think it could have been tuned up i think you could have dialed it back, back a bit yeah i agree i think this is where the film really started to lose some steam for me um and his closing, like, little, the tears fall, the rain, or whatever monologue, I probably was a little cheesy. Um, but I think the whole, the purpose of his character, I enjoyed. Um, the whole, like, idea of this film is what makes you human is your desire to live and survive. And that's what these replicants are, are doing. They're trying to find a way to live past their short lifespan. And they're struggling with that and reconciling with that. And I appreciated that aspect of his character a lot. But just the the final lines, I didn't really like. And just that chase sequence, I did lose some steam. I The only thing I would disagree with you is the fact that you can lose steam in this movie. Because if there's one thing this movie has, it's steam. I don't know where all this steam and smoke and fog is coming (laughs) from. But there is a never-ending supply. Air pollution. (laughs) Also, what was up with the 80s and 90s and dwarves? Oh, I don't know. That was another thing. I was like, this is not necessary in this film at all. No, they were always, I don't know. They were always just, and they were always like, kind of, um, like, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Not hood rats. I don't know. They were always kind of like ruffians. Like, they were, yeah. they were always up to no good. They were like little gremlins. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to find a word to not, um, to not okay. be, insul- yeah, not be okay. offensive or insultful. But that's just the way the 80s and 90s made them. All right? Yeah, that's how they were portrayed. It's like not a very good portrayal of it at all. Um, and that just wasn't really necessary. And it was weird in the, like, as far as the, like, automations from uh, Sebastian. I almost said Isidore. Sebastian in his little lair. Yeah, it, it's, it, that's another moment that doesn't work better in high definition because it's like, all right, I know these are supposed to look like toys, but the, I know for a fact that this man just has doors painted up in... You know, in in these costumes, running around in his house, and it doesn't help that they kind of look scared at some points. Yeah, that was also a, a bit of a weird part of the. Like they had shock collars on them if they went a certain distance. 
Any other points you want to talk about in this? Oh, I agree with you as well. The whole Tears in the Rain. Yeah, it's. I don't think it's the most profound line out there. It is odd how that's become like a staple. Like that is a, a quote that a lot of people remember. It's cheesy. <laughs> it is. I think in some ways, like it doesn't sound cool, but as your dying words, I don't know. Also, where did he get the dove from? Like there's just too many things. There's chewing up scenery and then there's chewing up the ecosystem while acting. Like you got that dove. Like I don't even know where the dove was, why it was so clean. It was just, yeah, there was just too much with his character. Someone had to tell him no at a certain point. All right. 2049. Um, I know you didn't like the story with this. I just want to start with why I liked the story and why I thought there was more development with it because I believe that K, he's just a Blade Runner. He, you know, we, he, we find out that he's a replicant very early on in the movie. Uh, I didn't know that. Did you know going into this movie that he was a replicant? I didn't. I actually really liked that twist to it. Yeah, that's one twist that worked for me. When I was in the movie theater, I'm like, dang, this man can take a lot. Like, not only is this Dave Bautista, but this is Dave Bautista as a replicant slamming through the wall. I was like, man, I was like, I don't know what they're juicing them, juicing up these humans with <laughs> during this time, but it must be some good stuff. And then, you know, we see him get stabbed and uh, yeah, once we see him get stabbed and he doesn't flinch or anything, it's like, okay. And then he says, you know, how do you like killing your own kind? I thought that was a great, I thought that was a great twist. Something I forgot to mention here, and I'm just going to bring it up real quick and I'm going to go into later, is that I think another thing that I consider this movie to be significant is how it does a legacy sequel, uh, especially not coming off of any source material. And one of the things I like here is a decision, you know, not to go with your main protagonist from the first movie, but also not even to go with a human Blade Runner, but to go with a replicant one to bring in, you know, to, to further those themes from another point of view. And yeah, they're just the way they go about it for this movie. I really do like the idea of a replicant and why I like this, his story arc, why I feel like he has a story arc is because yeah, he, he's just a replicant at first and he's just doing his job. He really doesn't care about anything. Like nothing seems to really phase him, but we do have these hints that like he does, he's not completely emotionless. He's not, he is a bit stoic, but when we find that he goes to his home and he has his virtual wife there, which I told Caitlin, like, if that ever becomes a thing where everybody can have an Anna de Armas with them, that is going to, that's going to take off. All right. That's the next big product right there. Because uh, it's not even like, um, it's not even like a sexual relationship or anything. It really is, you know, she's just providing company and they have this, you know, this connection to each other, though it is kind of, it's bittersweet because while it's a nice connection, but it is a false one. And then as the movie goes on, he starts to, he starts to get a purpose in his life especially when he believes that he is the protagonist of this story which i mean on paper he is but he finds out that he isn't and then we get that twist where he's not the protagonist of it it wasn't a twist it told us already that he wasn't it said oh there's a boy and a girl and then later it's like oh my gosh it's a girl and you're like oh really it's a girl you just told us this in the movie already so it was kind of already spelled out to us but that was gonna be the twist so i don't know why we had to act super shocked about it <laughs> They they didn't spell that out. They it the, was spelled out for me. <laughs> I think you may have misread it and just landed in the right no, spot. Because he said it was obvious because he said there was a boy and a girl, and then it painted out that he is a he basically got the memories of the girl implanted into him. And I thought that was very clear throughout the whole entire movie, and then it like plays it off like it's a shock. And I don't understand why that was a surprise when I thought it was pretty clear that they faked the death of the girl 
and gave them her memories to him. The whole entire movie. Like, it literally, like, spells it out for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it doesn't because, so, the for, first off, the girl didn't die. The record said that the girl lived I'm- and the boy died. Oh, well, but still, I mean, the fact that there was a boy and a girl and they had the same DNA, apparently, like, I knew, I don't know, I thought it was pretty clear. I I <laughs> didn't, so I, yeah, for me, it was a twist. I thought because the, because, and that, and that's why they said, like, we scrambled up the records and we knew how to do that, is because, yeah, that was a red herring when they said that the boy had died, because you thought that the girl was real and she was a real human being and the boy had died. So that they, you know, they went ahead and it was a boy that lived on. I always thought Ryan Gosling was the red herring. I, I didn't. I thought, you know, it kind of, it kind of shocked me also because I was with them with, I was like, this is the protagonist's story. I was like, this is the man right here. This is the Kate Messiah of replicants. And I then, mean, that's such a basic story, though. Like if they did that, I was going to be mad because I'm like, this is very basic. I mean, the story, ugh, I don't like the plot of this movie, but it wasn't the first time they did it because also like they have a scene where, and Amarmus is like, oh, look, this horse has the same number from your memories as this, so it must be real. And the next scene, it's like, oh, this memory's real. Oh, my gosh. And it's like, yeah, Anandamarmus just told us this. So why are we so shocked? So I did I did question it. Like, I had my questions, but I'm, I'm going to say, like, it's still, it was still a twist for me. And also, she said that it was real, but she didn't know it was real. She was She was trying to tell him that, like, hey... You know, it's it's got to be real. It's your memory. If it feels real, it's got to be real. But she doesn't she doesn't know what it's like to be implanted with memories. Like this is when your girl's trying to gas you up, and you know you think that. Yeah, but I'm talking about us as audience. We're being fed information, and then we're also then asked to act like it's surprised when the information that we were fed comes true. All right. Well, if you guys are not as smart as Caitlin, if you're on my level, all right. This now I'm not saying this is the craziest twist out there. All right, like leading up to the moment, you do start the question. You're like, oh, I'm not sure about this. I didn't think it was spelled out. I didn't have a concrete answer by the time the reveal came in. Um, actually, I think I was like probably like a few minutes early. I was like, oh, I don't know about this anymore. But I, I still like it. Even if even taking the twist out, even if it wasn't supposed to be a twist, even taking out that moment for the character, it is a is it is a twist. It is a revelation to them that they are not the protagonist of it. And I like that. Like what happens when you know, we have all these stories where a protagonist is the protagonist. And what happens when we find out that they're no, what happens when they find out they're not the hero of the story? So then from that point on, Kay has to make the decision of what to do, because at this point, like none of this relates to him. He can easily walk away from him from this. And at no point in the movie did he, or like during the beginning of the movie, we meet his character. He doesn't have like this desire to be human, but right now he's met with this moral decision that is going to lead him to be more human than ever. But I never saw him grappling with any of this. Like, I feel like we were told that this is what he's thinking, but I didn't really see it in the acting at all. I don't think that for this being Ryan Gosling, who I think is a phenomenal actor, I don't think that this was a very good acting role for him at all. I think he did good for the role of K. I think he does have some better performances. And I feel like this was his first like kind of mopey Ryan Gosling time where he like stopped for between between this and Barbie, like his movies like Gray Man, uh, Moon Man, a lot of man movies. Um, He just wasn't he wasn't really that lively after this movie until Barbie hit or well, you do have La La Land, which I think was 
2018. Yeah, but he's been in a lot of moodier, older roles. Um, uh, Ida's a March, uh, Drive, Drive is a big one, All Good Things. Um, okay. But I think it did show... So, two things with that, what we just said. One, I think it does show. Like, he does have his moments of outbursts. I think it does, for me, what I saw, I thought it showed within his character. Do I think Ryan Gosling is acting out it the best? No. But then my question is, so what? what's the difference between... Because I feel like this movie says more in its themes than the last movie, in which Decker gave you absolutely nothing. But I'd say that Ryan Gosling at least gave you something in this movie, or Kay gives you something in this movie. Because it was very superficial. I think the plot was very shallow in this. I don't think it really said anything new about the state of humanity or what it means to be human. I don't think it really said anything like that. And the plot... So, <laughs> you're going to hate me for this. The plot for me, I wrote in my notes, it's a mix between Twilight and her. <laughs> and I love her. I hated her. I hate her with a passion. I don't like AI romances. I think that, especially in this and Armas' character, is so underdeveloped and robotic, which I get it. But I just, I didn't care for this at all. And the whole scene with her, with the sex scene, was just, it just like felt like a very basic Black Mirror episode and no, no depth to it, whatever. And then, as far as the Twilight reference, I don't understand the pregnancy plot. The pregnancy plot, to me, is just so dumb. Because how do you get, I just don't understand how a replicant can get pregnant. And there's no, like, basis for it. There's no explanations for it. It's just kind of, like, it's just treated as a miracle. And there's, like, this whole, like, mysticism for it. And there's no depth to it. There's no really sense of meaning to it that really goes into it. Except, oh, my gosh, we're going to have a robot revolution now. And that we've seen 50 bazillion times in 50 bazillion movies. And I said Twilight because it reminded me of, like, the magical vampire pregnancy. But also just doesn't make any sense. Um... But like it just it's just so stupid. I just didn't I didn't like the plot. I thought this plot was shallow and I just thought it was silly. Yeah, I we're just gonna be different on this. And audience, let us know where you lie. Okay, Vince, so what's the deeper meaning then? What's the deeper meaning of all of this? It's Ari Ari said, like, you say that this movie didn't say anything okay, different. No, I'm when, asking you what is the deeper meaning in your mind? The deeper meaning in my mind is is like how do you continue going on knowing that you're in an important when you're when you're not important when you're not you're not central to the things that are going on? Okay, like I can see that. I don't think it was well played, but I think that's also such a very small part of this film compared to the idea of humanity and childbirth and what it means to that. But I think that those things that it touches on. And also relationships and falling in love with something that doesn't have a soul. Like, those things are things that I think that they could have done more depth, but they just didn't. Yeah, see, I find those things to be secondary to his character arc. I find those to be, I don't know, I, honestly, I feel like you kind of look into the child depth, child uh, birth a little too much. Like, they are, they're animic. However, Tyrell created her was anatomically correct to have a child and. Of course, they're not going to be able to explain it because it is one considered a miracle, and two, the guy, the Wallace, is trying to find out how he did it. So, I mean, somehow he had a somehow he had a baby. She had a baby. Like I guess. Well, she, the thing is that Dennis Villeneuve didn't know how it worked, and he didn't even care to bring any depth or meaning to it at all, except for robot revolution. <laughs> yeah, but at the same, so now I'm starting to like the problems that you're having with this right now. I feel like at least this movie. I don't understand how you like Blade Runner the first one. 
which barely said anything with the, like, like I said, the movie doesn't join in on the conversation, but yet this movie, I don't know, you're jumping on it, it for that. It doesn't, but at the same time, I can at least connect that movie with what I know from the book and make inferences that way. So I think maybe if I didn't have the book, that I probably wouldn't be able to make that deaf. But also because it doesn't give you anything, it also allows you to think more and make your own inferences on different things. Whereas this, it's just very much, it doesn't really have that or allow that. Yeah, and that's where we're just, honestly, it's just two different opinions because also you think that this is the most basic with the, as far as like AI themes. I think the first one is the most basic of, I'm an AI, I don't want to die, I have empathy. I don't disagree with you. I'm saying hmm. I have the book. Okay, I don't have the book. But I'm saying that this one, like, I don't think you provided me any themes thematically or symbolism that actually shows that it actually has more depth than the basic. I don't think you've proven that. I, I'm not prepared to prove that. Like, <laughs> no, because like I would really have to, like, I would really have to sit here and and think about that more. Because I'm just giving my opinion. Like, I'm not giving my um analyst so much on the film so to answer those questions like i really don't have the um like i don't have the the supported notes and things like that so i don't want to just sit here and just that's the purpose of this podcast <laughs> no because that's like a whole nother i don't know that's to me that's a whole nother question that's not something no, i'm prepared but for. i mean if you actually came back with something that was you know intelligent and had depth to it then i can at least try to understand you but i feel like for me right now it's like i can't see your point of view because i you're not giving me anything. <laughs> but I'm 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 not asking for for you to see it my way. Like that like right now right now I'm not asking for you to to see it my way. I'm just I'm letting you know why a bit of like why I like it, why I kind of see it the way I I do. But I'm not trying to sit here and make anybody you or the audience, you know, see it exactly the way that I see it. I'm just saying that I I think there I think there was more of an art to his character like I said. But you well, no, I said he starts out not caring about being human, even though, like, there's a little bit there. He's just going ahead doing his job. And then by the end of the film, he gives a he finds a reason to it's it's funny because this whole time in the first movie, he's finding the replicants are finding a way to live longer. And that's their arc. And then here in K, he's actually instead of finding a reason to live, he's finding a reason to die. And that's that's the art that I see in here. And of course, also, I like that the again, I like that a protagonist finds out that they're not the protagonist of a story and yet continues on in the journey. Can you explain what you meant by saying he's trying to find a reason to die? So when he's talking to the the rebel uh, replicants, she tells him like the most she gives him the gun and she says the most human thing you can do is die for the right cause. And that's when she tells him to go out and kill Deckard. But he decides that the best thing is not to go out and risk his life to kill Deckard, but to risk his life and pretty much put his life on the line and does die at the end to bring Deckard and reunite Deckard with her daughter. Like that's like the most selfless thing that Kay does in the whole movie. But I don't think he's looking for a reason to die. No, no, I'm not saying he's looking for a reason to die, but I'm what I'm saying is um because death is inevitable, so he's Instead of like um, the usual like a replicant or AI trying to find a reason to live, not saying he's finding a reason to die, but like he wants to go ahead and die. Like a martyr. Yeah, like almost a martyr. Even though that's not what he's going out and setting to do, but he is. He does inevitably, you know, with um, what's not the word, not inevitably, but 
inadvertently he finds he does find something to die for. Granted, I don't think he wanted to die. Like I'm not saying he rushed in there to die. Yeah, that's what I thought you were saying at first. Like from the beginning, he just didn't like his life and he wanted to die and he needed to find a reason to die. And I was like, I don't think I saw that at all. No, man, that that dude lived on like the 70th floor. If he wanted to die, he could have just jumped off. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was confused for a second. <laughs> but that's why, I like, you know, this guy, he was just doing his thing, didn't care about, barely cared about himself. You did like see a little bit in there, and I think that that grows. And yeah, do you see it much in his performance? No, aside from the outburst. But I even in the theater when I watched it, I know you didn't feel it at all. But when Joy died, I felt that for Ryan Gosling's character. And again, like that was the only piece he had. That's the only kind of thing that he had living for. So when he finds something to not only live for, but to actually even die for, I find that to be more than an arc than. I mean, I see that arc there. I just don't think I think it was underdeveloped and I don't think it was good directing of the actor. And I I see it the other way. I think it was good. Now, granted, I do think the acting could have been better, but I I think it was developed. And I think his outbursts were kind of silly. I thought they were a little comical. Well, that's because I've been sending you a gif the past um the past like two weeks of him doing that. Oh, have you? Oh my god. The way I haven't even paid attention. <laughs> No, I just thought that his outburst when he was in, like, the... When she was, like, crying because she was seeing the memory. And he was like, God damn it. Like, I was like, all right, this is funny. And a lot of his facial expressions were funny, too. I just don't think... Like I said, Ryan Gosling is a very talented actor. And I've seen him in serious roles. And he's done so well. But I just don't understand the direction here. Well, this was a stoic role. He's a, he's a replicant. Like, they didn't make him... he was stoic, though. He was... He had some emotion, miss, like not missing, but he was, his emotions were suppressed. I think Deckard was more stoic than Faye. That's Harrison Ford. Yeah, that is Harrison Ford. Which also, that's another thing of this movie. Harrison Ford just acting like himself. But that's Harrison Ford's acting. But I think it was a complicated thing where, like, I don't know. It's not supposed to be completely stoic. Like, even that's why they give these replicants memories. They're not supposed to be completely emotionless. Yeah. But it is supposed to be suppressed. And do I think that they fully nailed it? No, I don't think this is like the performance that I want to put on top of my list. Uh, but I do think that it, it does come through in scenes. Oh, I just, I don't, I just. But another thing about this movie too is I just didn't feel like they needed to bring back Deckard and Rachel. I didn't feel like that needed to come back. And I felt like that was just another legacy sequelism that we saw. Yeah, you could have definitely had it with two other characters in the same storyline. But I, I didn't mind it because I, because it actually, it, felt like it worked into the story and we did kind of continue it did make it feel more of a sequel uh, i don't think it was crowbarred in i thought it was crowbarred in just because i felt like they were jumping through leap like hoops to try to like oh well i was here with her but then i left her because it's for a greater good but i'm also not going to actually explain the plan that i had and why i did this stuff so i didn't really appreciate that i just i don't know i didn't think any of it was necessary and i kind of really thought going in that it was going to be a little bit more separate from the original story and it was a lot more involved with it than i thought um so i was kind of let down as well like i said you could have also had a human and uh replicant run away and get pregnant together uh, if he is a human get out of here really scott uh but i think by having these characters hey it gives the fans something and it does connect the two movies also i said that i couldn't really say anything to make people kind of see why i like the plot but i think i did a pretty good job just now by the way so let me know audience let me know what you think um i'm inter i think this movie is something to be understand the plot and what you like about the plot i just don't think it has depth and i see the depth 
I think that what you're saying is exactly what it showed on me. I don't think that it was anything revolutionary, and I don't think that it really tried to make you think outside of what it was showing you on I never said, like, it was... I never said it was supposed to be prerogative like that. But I think when you're saying that something is a little bit more of an artsy film, you do expect a little bit more thinking involved and a little bit more critical thinking and engagement with the material, and I don't think I have that with this. Okay, so we have different, like, so the kind of RC I was talking about, I was thinking more like visual and direction. And that's also why I went back on the whole, I don't think Denise Villeneuve, when he said this was a $150 million art film, I was like, I don't want to agree that it's a full out art film. Um, so no, I didn't mean like story and theme wise art. I, when I, when I think of the art of this film, I do think more about it just visually. Yeah, but I think that it, it also kind of, I think a lot of criticism of this too, or not criticism, a lot of. The takeaway with this is it being an art film, I think that it, it's saying that there should be more critical thinking involved in engagement, and I just don't think that I really have that with this story. Oh, no. Then in that case, no, I wouldn't say that that critical thinking is there. And I would say like, yeah, you can talk about this a little bit more, but a lot of it is right there for you in the story. And that's, I don't mind that. Yeah. And that's fine if you don't mind that. But that's why I'm saying for me, it felt shallow. Okay. And see, that's, I think you can have a, I think a, for me, I think, uh, at least how I measure my depth, I think you can have something deep and have it all out there for you. I don't think the movie needs to be... I mean, that's not depth, then it's shallow, but <laughs> they're two great opposites of each other. No, because you can you, you can have, have a lot of deep, depth... shallow thing. <laughs> you can have a lot of depth in a film and not have to take it with you. I think that you can get a lot of enjoyment and get something out of the shallow film. But for me, if you're marketing this as an art film... And you're trying to, you're going off a material that is all about empathy and the deeper meaning of empathy and has a lot of complex themes and then downgrading from that. I think that it's kind of a disservice to the original work. And again, that's, I wouldn't say it was downgraded because all like, again, I feel like this movie is more, see, it works differently for us because I like a movie when it's more involved with the conversation. I'm not talking about Blade Runner. I'm talking about the book. Oh, the book. God, you know, I can't read. But yeah, that's, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I didn't read the book. I mean, I know, but I'm just saying, I mean, even compared to, like, other art films, like, it's not a, this isn't a movie that's going to make me think. It's very much, this is, lays it out for you what it wants to be. So, like, saying that this is an art film, other than visually, I just think is not the right term. No, no, I, I'm having not. having that expectation, I think that this is a very super film. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's an art film. I already went back once and yeah. said that it's not, it's not that kind of art film. So I'm not I'm not saying it's our film. What we're saying is our film to you. But I think it's fair for me to judge it because of that. Because of because other people are saying it's our film. Because yeah, because other people are saying it's an art film, and also just what it's stemming from. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's I think it's fair to compare it to that. I'm not gonna say yeah, don't don't try to like see the art in it. Yeah, it is probably a bit more superficial. It, it says um. It, it says more than like you think for yourself, but yeah, that, that works for me. That works for me. But I see what you're saying now. I see, I see more of what you're saying. Yeah. Like visual arts. Yes. I can definitely, I can agree with you there, even though it's not my cup of tea. Um, but just like story wise and thematically and symbolism, beliefs, all of that, I just feel a bit lacking. Okay. I can see that. Like, I understand that. And the first one does have a lot of like, like religious imagery as well. So there is stuff in the first one. Um, that you can pick apart and talk about but i i just even though i don't think it's as explicit in the, um the writing it's more like a visual thematic 
but it is definitely a lot more aesthetic in the first one. I will admit to that. So talking about symbolism and how much the first one had, what uh, what did the dove mean? I mean, I think I kind of took it as a religious imagery. Um, I think also with the unicorn, so uh, the unicorn too in the first one, sometimes in Renaissance art, unicorns represent like a Christ figure. And then the dove, of course, being a religious imagery in uh, like the Ark story. Uh, so I think that in general, it is definitely like a form of, I wouldn't say it's like a creation story, but there definitely is a lot of religious imagery. And I don't want to go fully into what it means because I'm not sure I fully understand. I'd have to do a little bit more research too, like you said, but but definitely the religious imagery is there. Nice, nice. Is there anything else you want to talk about while spoilers are up? Um, oh, the villains. Oh, yeah, I feel like I didn't really think of them as villains except for the hench girl, hench woman. Because women can be henchmen, too. <laughs> yeah, I think for her, it's just like she started off as a really interesting character for me. And then they didn't give her anything. She was just a henchman. And I was like, oh, I kind of would have liked to see a little bit more from her. But I think that was also something that was a criticism of the movie in general. Is that the woman characters just weren't, there wasn't really much to them. <laughs> I mean, for goodness sakes, we first see Anna Demaris wearing her little housewife get up. And I'm like, all right, come on. <laughs> Hold your comment. <laughs> Just gonna hold my comment. <laughs> also, the character played by um, of uh, the girl from San Junipero, Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie Davis. I I wanted to see more for her. I thought there was gonna be something more for her, and then I didn't really understand like her whole thing at the end, what she was really doing. Well, she was working with the rebellion. I mean, I I get that part, but like, I was like, okay, this came out all right. <laughs> Like, can we give a little bit more? Like, the rebellion was very underwritten, I felt. And the rebellion's connection with Deckard's daughter, I thought, was a little bit underwritten. I mean, I took it as just another thing in this movie, in this in this lore, in this world, that isn't explained too much. Like, the off-world. We hear so much about off-world, and we really don't know what's going on off-world. We do. Yeah, because they were like, um... Well, first of all, like, because of the destruction and stuff here, like, there's off-world colonies, but also because of just mining off-world and getting resources there, but that's what they were using the replicants for originally. Yeah, I know work is being done off-world, but, like, I don't, I don't know, like, the the off-world, the rebellions are just, they're just mentioned. Um, We don't really go into them. It's just another part of the lore, which I don't mind, which is why I didn't mind, like, the whole replicants going into a rebellion. It reminded me a lot of Children of Men. Uh, and, and children of men, you kind of, you kind of have like this whole war going on between the re- rebels and the government. And then you also have these other factions and how they're going to try to use the child, but none of them go too deep into it. Probably look more than this movie, but I don't know. I, I guess, but that's also just a very, very common sci-fi thing. Like if you look at like Leviathan Wakes, um, like that's another thing. Like there's all bunch of sci-fi stories about awful colonies, so it didn't really phase me or seem like anything unique. Yeah, that's why I wasn't worried about the rebellion. I was like, okay, that's another thing. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It was underwritten. It was just kind of basic sci-fi plot. And I do like Mackenzie Davis. I'm glad to hear that you like that portion. At least want to see more of her because I felt the same way. I want to see more Mackenzie Davis. Uh, I still do. I. She's been one actor, actress that I've been looking forward to seeing more of, and it just just hasn't hit that stride yet. She had that Terminator film. It didn't work out. Uh, waiting for it to, to hit it again. There was another movie that I've seen of hers. 
I'm trying to remember. Oh, the one with uh, Charlize Theron. If you want to see some, if you want to see Mackenzie Davis throughout a movie, that's one. Oh wait, it's right there. Hmm. Tully. Yeah, Tully. Though the ending is, I don't know. The ending ending is good. Ending ending made me want to cry for a second. Uh, but yeah, Tully's a good movie. You can find that on Caitlin's watch list on Letterbox. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now I do uh, one last question about 2049. Did you at least like the the sinking scene? When the the two of them, uh, when the hologram and... No, because I thought it was like a basic Black Mirror plot. Like, it seemed like something I was watching in Black Mirror and like the cinematography because it was very Black Mirror-ish. Like, I felt like I had seen something in like similar to that before. I liked it. I'm sure you did. Gross. (laughs) No, not like that. But I mean like that, so no. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was just a good technological... I don't know. I thought it was an interesting um, use of CGI. And like I said, I just, I don't, like, it reminded me too much of her. Like, I don't like the whole, like, I can understand, like, a human-robot relationship. Like, that I can get behind. But, like, the human, like, Siri-type relationship, I'm not really a fan of. And that's basically what she was. Like, that I'm just like, eh. Like, this doesn't, this plotline just doesn't do anything for me. And especially, too. And another thing, too, is, like, also her introduction was, like, Oh, you're supposed to think she's not a real, like, she's a real person, even though she was talking like this. I made you dinner. Like, yeah, obviously I know that she's AI. I know that she's not a real person because she's talking like that. Like, so why is this played off as a surprise, too? Like, every, like, single twist surprise, I felt like he undercut it too soon. As someone who hasn't been in a relationship the past seven years, I'm just going to say that I can kind of get it. (laughs) Does this film hold up for you? Or does the original, sorry. Wait a second. <laughs> Does the original, uh, of course, the 2017, 2049 holds up. Uh, Does the original 1982 film hold up for you? Other than those few problematic issues, yeah, I think it does. I think that, like, visually, it still looks great. Um, Like, there was, like, a one CGI shot that was, like, of the CGI shot of the, the city environment that was a little off. Um, but other than that, it, like, it wasn't really that bad. And I think the visual effects are still good. So. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And it's just, even if these one day, like these practical effects become super outdated, it's still going to be interesting to see. Like it's, you know, it's still interesting to see the scale models be used in Godzilla films. Like there's still a, um, a novelty to it. Thank you. Now, 2049 with these films that we've seen. That mean that been out within the last decade. Do you think that this film will hold up in time? Um, I I think the thing for me that's the uncanny valley moment. I don't think will hold up, but I think the rest of it probably yeah. That the uncanny valley moment being when they brought in like a younger Rachel. Like it kind of works thematically because she is supposed to be a replicant, but at the same time. This is also where we're supposed to believe that anyone could be a replicant and they look like normal humans. So when you add a CGI character that's like de like de-aged, it's just kind of like anytime they add that in movies, I'm just like, this is not going to hold up. Look better than the uh, Indiana Jones this year. <laughs> True. It did look better than that, but I, I just still don't think I just don't think that's something that ever is going to hold up personally. You just can't. There's just no way to to replicate it i mean it's you're always gonna be uncomfortable looking at it that's the whole point of the uncanny valley so i think they will get it down in time a lot of time uh especially when you put the right um 
the right actual time into it. You know, like Marvel's not doing great with it, but they rush they rush all their visual effects. There is one movie that got it down right, I think. I know the big one, the one that kind of set it off that let Disney know, like, oh, we can we can go ahead and do this is the Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man three, or was it Civil War? It was it was one of those films. I, I think it was, Star Wars did it. Did it worse? No, no, it was bef- this was before Star Wars. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. He was D H. I remember seeing that in theater. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I did remember seeing it. It was. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Time machines exist. D H cloning exists. Oh, it's computers. Oh, never mind. I'm not impressed. Uh, yeah, I think this is going to hold up throughout time. I think also, like, I think a lot with the CGI, I think one of the best things you can do with CGI is subtlety. And I think, like, the best movie I can think of when it comes to that is Ex Machina. When it's just a little bit of CGI, uh, put in. We're not just, it's not just a green screen for the whole thing. And I think this movie, it works with that. I don't think, yeah, I think this is going to last for a while. I want to borrow your thing here. What do you give the original movie as far as overall rating? I want to give it an A minus. I really enjoyed this film, and like I said, that one sequence alone it just was astounding to me. Um, does it have its faults? Yeah, like I said, it's a lot of style over substance in the in a way, and obviously there are things that just like I said do not hold up because of just like issues with consent um that kind of bring it down but i i really i really liked this film i was just really feeling it i was feeling the vibes for anybody say that we're getting a little too socially aware with that if you have not seen the movie watch that again i mean if you have not seen the movie recently watch it again and you let us know if you will go ahead and try that uh but other than that yeah other than that weird scene i'll give this a b plus uh because i think there's a lot of good going for this movie but with that Story-wise, with that whole romance, and then not even just like you take out the the creepy approach, uh, the aggressive creepy approach, I still think that feels a bit rushed. And then also, again, I don't think this movie is really saying as much as it thinks it is and is trying to. Uh, so that kind of holds it back. Now, what about twenty forty nine, Caitlin? This movie just wasn't my cup of tea. I just wasn't feeling the plot. And I just, the, like I said, the visuals, while I can appreciate them from a technical point of view, like I definitely appreciate it from a technical point of view because I think this is a very technically well done film. It's just also just not how I like to see my sci-fi. Um, so I'm going to go D+. And that concludes the last episode of this podcast. <laughs> no, I I get it. And... You know, like you said, a lot of it's not your cup of tea. Uh, so I would go ahead and... What well, what about technically for this film? Technically, I would rate it higher. I'd probably give it uh, A minus, too. Yeah. I really... I, I'm kind of really bummed that I didn't like this film. Uh, I really, really wanted to like this. Liking liking Ryan Gosling. Liking Cyberpunk. Um, yeah, I, I, it's it's a film that I'm really, really upset that I didn't like. But unfortunately, it just, a lot of it just is just not my personal preference. Okay, then I'm glad I asked what you thought of it technically. I can sleep better at night. No, I'm not going to have to make it look like an accident. Uh, I, yeah, I'm going to be way higher than you on this, of course. Um, But how much higher? That is the question I'm thinking about. Actually, take that A- minus to a B plus just because of those orange waves that I got tired of seeing. <laughs> All right. Nope. Now no one want to rate it. Just in complete spite, I'm giving another point. So no. uh, I'm going to give this film a a solid A. 
I think that I think the movie slows down a little bit. That I'll have to take away from the plus area, but no, oh, because it's solid. No, I'm gonna go A plus, and I think what takes it away from my S tier, even though it's like right there, it possibly is an S tier. I have to think about it some more. Uh, but it's yeah, I think it is it does get a little bit slow, or not even slow. I just feel like they could have done a little bit more. Maybe ask a little bit more prerogative questions, uh, like Caitlin was saying. But other than that, yeah, I love this film. That was a, I'll say that was a good, it's a, I had fun with the conversation, or I enjoyed yeah. the conversation. It was a good one. And I hope you enjoy our next episode, which is going to be us tackling another franchise, one that is about to have his 10th movie out there, Saul. Now, neither Caitlin nor I have seen Saul. Um, not really sure why I haven't seen it, but Saul X is about to come out, so we're going to go ahead and watch the first one. Uh, Saw X is not a legacy sequel. Thank you. Um, I know Caitlin and I are so happy we don't have to watch like f- at least five Saws. Though I may check out more than just the first one. See how I feel after the first one. See which one of the the good ones are out there. And if you know which one is the good Saw, even if you know the episode is all out already and we didn't watch anymore, still let us know at any time. Let us know which of the Saws are the good Saws. And you're probably wondering, like, well, how am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to, you know, just wait for, you know, to be kidnapped and in front of you guys and given like a timer and a moral choice to make? No, 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 no. It's not that complicated. All right. We're not going to ride in with a tricycle and ask you your, your opinion. Just go ahead and follow us on our social media. And Caitlin, where can that be found? find us on twitter and instagram at op silver screen on facebook we're at operation silver screen but twitter and instagram that's op silver screen you can also find us on our personal letterboxes if you want to see what else we're watching throughout the week maybe take a look at some reviews of films we don't get to talk about on here you can find brian at swank seal that's capital s capital s and you can find me at coffee spoon kate that's coffee spoon c-a-i-t till next time we'll be going ahead and doing some void comp tests in hq i'm brian and i'm caitlin see you